But I want to speak to you, of course, about the greatest mother that ever lived. Not divine, but because God chose her to bring forth the Christ child. And I want to talk to you about advice. How many of you have had somebody give you advice, even this week? Somebody advised you. How many of you can say it wasn't good advice? <laughs> well, you know, people give advice very easily. But I want to talk to you about the best advice ever given by a mother or anybody else. Matter of fact, the advice that Mary gave that we're about to read about, if you will let this be your philosophy for life, your rule for life, it's only seven words. You will never regret it. You will flourish, you will succeed, and you will give glory to God. That's a guarantee. So let's read John chapter 2 and starting at verse 2, if you have your Bibles. And we're going we're gonna to read about a wedding. And Jesus performed his first miracle at a wedding. And John chapter 2, verse 2, begins this way. On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. And now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman. Now let me just stop right here. Don't follow Jesus with that one. Okay? Nobody wrote on their Mother's Day card, I hope, woman. Thanks for bringing me into this world. <laughs> but you should know that in the first century, this was a, a, a word of respect. And Jesus was speaking very, very gently to his mother, and, and it was respectful, like ma'am. It was just woman. Just don't go do it today. But then he, he said, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, read this with me. Here's the advice. Read it out loud. Whatever he says to you, do it. Oh, if I could get everybody in here to walk out living by those seven words. Whatever he says to you, do it. Father, thank you for your word today. Lord, I can't do this apart from you. Who is sufficient for these things? I need your spirit to preach the congregation needs your spirit to receive and understand. Lord, we need you today to open our eyes and open our hearts and open our ears to understand what the Lord is saying to us through this word. I pray that, Lord, you will change us, rearrange us, renew our minds, set our feet on the right path. And, Lord, we thank you that the word won't return void, but it will do what it sent forth to accomplish. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you're going to be glad you came today. You're about to be changed. I really believe that. <clears throat> now, this is the story of a wedding that both Jesus and uh, his mother attended along with his disciples. And it's the setting where Mary gave the best advice ever dispensed by a mother. And, you know, from time immemorial, mothers have given ready advice. Nobody gives advice quicker than a mother. Some good, some okay, some not so good, but it was meant with the best of intentions, I'm sure. 
I, I dug up a few examples of what I think is really good advice. Let me read some of them to you. Actress Halle Berry's mother advised her, before you do anything life-changing, call me. I like that. I'll take that one. Then one popular singer writes that his mother quoted the Bible saying, bad company corrupts good habits. Be careful who you let into your life, his mother said. And he says, that one piece of advice has saved me countless heartaches, and I've never forgotten it to this day. And I can amen that one because relationships will make you or break you, put you on the right path or the wrong one. Very important. And then another young lady about 11 years old wrote from the Bahamas, my mom told me to put God first in everything that I do and don't worry about boys till I finish my education. <laughs> I'll amen that one. I'll take it. How many times have I said that? And then a lady named Mary writes, when I was young and dating men, my mom always told me to watch how my boyfriends treat their mothers. Boy, I got a lot of amens from women right there. <laughs> she said they would treat me the same way. I found this to be so true. I've got a husband who thought the world of his mom and shows that same love to me. It's the best advice my mom ever gave me. Now, those four pieces of advice I would take, I would, I would say to anybody, that's good advice. That's good motherly advice. And yet, what Mary told the servants at the wedding exceeds them all. Because if you will do what she said, it'll change your whole life, and you will walk on the road of righteousness the rest of your life, and you will become all that God intended you to be. It's seven simple words. Whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever my son says to you, whatever Jesus says to you, do it. You know, I was thinking about those seven words, and I was thinking that the first word, the very first one, is so full of trust. Whatever. Whatever he says to you, do it. No matter how hard it may seem or unusual or contrary to logic, Peter, step out of the boat onto the water. Contrary to logic or humbling or sacrificial or risky, you can trust Jesus 100% because his advice will never fail you. He's always going to be right. He's always going to be accurate. Whatever, that word is an open-ended blank check for any situation you find yourself in life that if he tells you to do it, you can do it. You know, Jesus has a 100% success rate with his advice, and no other counselor that I know of can say that. Jesus has a 100% success rate if you do what he says. Isaiah the prophet predicted this about Jesus. He said, you're going to call him some things, wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. And some have suggested you could take the first two words, wonderful and counselor, and remove the comma and just say, wonderful counselor. You will call him wonderful counselor. Because, you see, Jesus dispenses advice. He advises. He gives counsel. Isaiah 28, 29 says, this also comes from the Lord of hosts. He gives wonderful advice. He gives great wisdom. 
Well, isn't that good to know? And can I tell you that Jesus gave advice and still gives advice? His mouth did not close when the first century passed away. But if you will go to him, he will still give you advice today. So Mary could confidently advise whatever he says to you. Listen to me, servants. Listen to me, people. Listen to me, those of you at this wedding. Listen, whatever he says to you, do it. That's my advice to you. And she could have also added, I've known him for 30 years. And I'm going to tell you, whatever he says to you, you can do it without fear. Now back to our wedding. It says in verse 1, on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Now, I want to just say something today that's a little bit off the beaten path, but I need to say it. For the record, I believe that Jesus performed the very first wedding in this world in the Garden of Eden between Adam and Eve. Now, you say, well, Jeff, where in the world do you get that? I don't read that in Genesis. Ah, but Scripture is clear that Jesus was there as co-creator of man and woman with God the Father, and now thousands of years later, he continues to sanctify marriage. As a matter of fact, Jesus has a patent on marriage, not the Supreme Court. Let me tell you something about Jesus. He invented marriage. Jesus invented marriage, and he placed his heavenly seal of approval on marriage when he quoted Moses saying, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female, boy and girl, man and woman? And he said, for this reason a man, a male, shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, a female, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate or mess with. Now, he didn't say mess with. I added that. That's the revised Wickwire version. So God invented marriage. Jesus performed his first miracle at a wedding. That says something. That says what he thought about marriage. Now, I want you to first notice that at the wedding, it was by invitation only. This was a by invitation only wedding. Verse 2 says, Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. So no doubt, this was a large and a prestigious wedding by invitation only. And this wedding reveals something very important about the Lord Jesus, and that is Jesus comes by invitation only. Now watch this. You want to know the truth about Jesus? He's a gentleman. It says in the Bible in Revelation 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door of your heart, and I knock. And if any man opens the door and comes and lets me in, I will come into him and, he, and sup with him and fellowship with him and befriend him and relate with him and he with me. Notice he says, I, be, I stand at the door and I knock. I don't storm the door and kick it in. I stand at the door and I knock. And if you open the door, that is inviting me. You must invite me. You must let me in. You must say, come into my life, Jesus. Come into my heart. Come into my, my context. Come into my situation. Come into my home. Come into my marriage. I welcome you, Jesus, because you can either push him away 
Are you going to let him in? Now, I want you to think with me for a moment that if Jesus had not gone to this wedding, if he hadn't been invited, and once he was invited, he came, if he hadn't been invited, it would have ended on a sour note. Now, let me give you a fact of life. If there's no place for Jesus in your life or in your marriage, then there's no place for the miracles of Jesus because Jesus performs miracles primarily where he's invited. That's where he does his miracles. So all the time, every morning, I get up and I say, Jesus, you're invited into my life. You know, lead me today, guide me today. And, and some of you could really stand saying, Jesus, come into my home, come into my marriage, come into my life, come into my heart. Come into my soul. Come into my situation. Lord, I invite you. I don't want to keep you at arm's length. Come in, Jesus. And he said, I will come in and fellowship with you and you with me. So if your home needs a miracle today, I want you to keep listening because I'm going to tell you how to experience a miracle today. Today. Now, next we see something about this, this wedding. Everything was going great, going wonderfully, until an unexpected problem arose. You know, have you ever noticed that problems are always unexpected? Right when you think everything's going great, here comes a problem. Here comes a trial. Here comes something that didn't send you an email that it was on the way. An unexpected problem. Verse 3 says, when the wine ran out, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Now, here's the deal. The wine running out happened because of mismanagement and poor planning. We would say today, the wedding planner blew it. <laughs> because it was by invitation only. They knew how many were coming. So the wedding planner misplanned. And in those days, in the Middle East, they placed a huge emphasis on caring for every need of your guest. It was a reflection on the bride and groom. If all the guests were rightly taken care of, and now we got a big problem. There is a great big problem with this wedding because the wine has run out. So on the most important day of this couple's life, it's suddenly touched with this huge, embarrassing blotch. The town gossips might even suggest this was an omen a bad sign predicting trouble for this marriage because the wedding didn't go well. It didn't seem like it was blessed. There was a lack. There was a deficit. There was a problem. It was, there was an embarrassment. So something needed to be done fast. Now, I'm going to stop right here and point something out. The Bible doesn't make a mistake about anything. When the Bible gives us a story like this, there's always a spiritual life application for us. And, and, and there's something about this wine running out that is a picture of real life. Picture of real life. It illustrates those times when we experience a pressing lack, an embarrassing dilemma, a crying need that we don't know what to do with. Just like these young newlyweds, many of you here today, are aware that the wine has run out in your life, the wine being a picture of something that matters, something that is valuable, something that, that uh, important, something that needs to be there. You have a lack of something important today. There's an emptiness that aches. 
The wine has run out. You see the picture? Let me give you an example. Perhaps today you need the wine of forgiveness because you are riddled with guilt. And oh, the wine of forgiveness, just knowing that you were forgiven would be so good because that guilt is keeping you up at night. You can't sleep. You've lost your appetite. It's gnawing away on you on the inside. And you would love that wine of forgiveness. Or you've got something really getting to you and it's destroying you. It might be your marriage where the wine of love has run out. You got married. We were in love. Oh, man. We were just head over heels. And, but now life has happened and bills and kids and distractions and job. And we've awakened and we've realized the wine has run out. The wine is gone. We, we, we don't love each other. We're two strangers living in the same home. What are we going to do? Where do we turn? Or here's one, your kids have walked away from the way that you raised them and you've lost the wine of encouragement and the wine of hope. It's breaking your heart. You don't know where to turn. Or maybe you're just plain weary with paying the bills and going to a job you don't like and going through the motions of life and the wine of joy is a distant memory. You used to have joy. You used to have a skip in your step, a smile in your face, a gleam in your eye, but there's no more joy. The joy, the wine of joy has run out. What do you do? We can always hear Mary saying, the wine is gone. You've said it in your own heart. You've said it to yourself. There might even be a financial need threatening to engulf you. And the wine of your inner peace. Oh, it would be so good just to have inner peace. But I don't have peace because of all these problems, these financial problems and these other problems. And my peace, I need the wine of peace. Where do I turn? What do I do? I'll tell you what some do. They go to a bottle. Others go to a drug. Others go to relationship after relationship. And listen, Mary knew where to turn. That's what the deal is with this wedding. Mary knew exactly where to turn. It says, when Mary realized there was a problem, she didn't go to the wedding planner and chew him out. She didn't go to the master of the feast and say, hey, bad deal. I'm so sorry to see that the party is ruined. She didn't go to the bride and groom and ruin their moment. She went straight to Jesus. Listen, she went straight to Jesus. She turned to the Son of God, her Son, who she knew was divine. You know, there's no better place to go first. Now, I didn't say last, because what we do is we get a problem, the wine runs out, we go here, there, hither, thither, yon, and then finally we say, well, I guess I'm going to have to pray about it and go to God. But no, Mary immediately, as soon as she knew there was a problem, she went first. Everybody say first. First. She didn't go to a psychiatrist. She didn't go to a counselor. She didn't go to a lawyer. She went first. First to Jesus. She came to Jesus with this need. What is Jesus going to do about wine running out? What in the world is he going to do about wine running out? But she believed that Jesus cared about everything and that Jesus had an answer for everything. And we need to know that Jesus has an answer. He has wisdom. He has a word for everything. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. 
who gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given to him. Where does wisdom come from? It comes from Jesus, the wonderful counselor. The wonderful counselor. And Jesus answered in a miraculous way, and he can do the same for you today. He can do exactly the same for you today. Do you believe that? Do you know that? And if you don't believe it or if you're not sure of it, let me tell you, he's as near to you as a prayer, and he will answer you. You say, how, Jeff? Through his word, in your heart, through others. But he will get it to you. He will get it to you. He will get an answer to you. Jesus has not gone out of the miracle business. After offering to Jesus her request, Mary turned to the anxious servants and gave that advice that you can't beat. She said, listen, I know there's no wine. I know you got a real problem. I know you don't know what to do, but let me tell you where the answer is. No, he's not a, he, he's not a wine seller. He's not, he's not in the business, but, but listen, if you'll go to my son... Whatever he tells you to do, do that. Do that. Now, can I just point out that when she said that and when she went to Jesus, she didn't tell him what to do or how he should solve the problem. You know, that's the way we pray all the time. Lord, here's my problem, and here's how I think you should fix it. You know, you got your car breaking down. Your car's breaking down all the time. And you say, oh, Lord, you know what? I just need a new car, and, or I need you to do something with this car. Lord, this car is just driving me crazy every time I turn around and put money into it. And every day you drive by that Chevy dealership, and right there in the parking lot is that cherry red, shiny, brand-new Corvette. And you say, you know, Lord, I've got a real problem with this car, and I think the way you can fix it best is give me that Corvette. Now, I'm not telling you not to pray that. But let me tell you what I learned from Mary. Mary shows us not to tell Jesus how he needs to fix it. She didn't say, Jesus, the wine's run out, and here's what I would do if I were you. I'd get those six water pots over there. No. She had no idea what he was going to do. She had no idea how he was going to fix it. None at all. Her actions tell us, let him be in charge because he's got an answer. Let me tell you why you need to let Jesus be in charge when you pray about something that you don't know what to do. What do you do when you don't know what to do? You give it to him, and you let him work it out the way he wants because his answer will be better than anything you could possibly imagine. How many of you have ever prayed for something and Today, you are so ever eternally grateful. He did not answer that prayer. There was that person you just knew you should marry, and you saw them lately. He said, oh, thank you, Jesus. Because Jesus has a better answer. He has a better way. See, I'm not talking about a religious Jesus or some idea or a philosophical concept or a religion. I'm talking about a living Christ who answers prayer and moves in our lives and intervenes in our affairs and works things out according to his good pleasure. That's who I'm talking about. He's involved with us. 
Jesus' answer ended up going far beyond into a realm that nobody there could ever have come up with on their own. It says in verses 6 to 7, Nearby stood six water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding 20 to 30 gallons of water. And Jesus said to the servants, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to where? The brim. See, when you give your life to Jesus, he fills you to the brim. He doesn't fill you halfway, three-quarters of the way. He fills you to the brim. He is a God of blessing. And I ran the numbers. It wasn't hard to do. And what I realized was he's talking about 180 gallons of water. Now, I've conducted a lot of weddings. And I'm going to tell you, I have never been to a wedding where that wedding party and those that were there consumed anywhere near 180 gallons of anything. This was a major, superabundant blessing that Jesus was about to do. Isn't it amazing? Look, she came to Jesus with a problem, and what did he do? He didn't kind of fix it. He didn't fix it a little bit, but he's getting them ready for a net-breaking, boat-sinking load of blessing. He's getting them ready for an abundance. No wonder Paul the Apostle wrote, now glory be to God who by his mighty power at work within us is able to do far more. Can you say with me far more? Than we would ever, now listen to these words, than we would ever dare to ask or even dare to dream of infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. The King James says, exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask for or even think of. Do you see what Jesus is doing with this need? Jesus, we're out of, we're out of wine. The, the wine's run out. What are we going to do? He's got them lined up to receive 180 gallons of blessing. And can I add, I need to add, I don't believe Jesus created alcoholic wine because I know Jesus. I know that he is not going <laughs> to pour out on a wedding party 180 gallons of intoxicating wine where a bunch of them walk home staggering drunk. That's not my Jesus. He does not enable sin. I believe it was the finest, purest grape juice ever tasted by the lips of men. But we're going to get to that in just a moment. So notice with me that these containers were filled with pure water because it was water for ceremonial use, for washing your hands and washing your uh, 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 feet before eating. So it had to be pure water. It had to be clean water because you're going to eat with those hands. So listen, Jesus performed his miracle in a clean vessel. If you want a miracle in your life, First, let Jesus wash your sins away. First, let him wash your sins away. Because when the sins are washed away, then you are standing on miracle ground. See, that's what happened to me. There I was sitting in juvenile home as a 16-year-old juvenile delinquent. I had not gone through ninth grade. I never finished high school because I was kicked out. Troubled, on drugs, confused, angry, full of fear. And I heard the gospel sitting in juvenile home. 
And when I heard it, something got a hold of my heart and grabbed me. I didn't know that it was the Holy Ghost because I didn't know anything about the Holy Ghost because I wasn't raised in church and had never heard the gospel. But there I was, hair down to here, 125 pounds soaking wet, run away, picked up by the police, confused, cottage cheese for brains, didn't know where my future was possibly going, and I heard the knock of Jesus on the door of my heart. And when I heard the knock of Jesus on the door of my heart, I opened the door. I invited him in, and he washed my sins away. And when he washed my sins away, then I was standing on miracle ground. He says, Jeff, you may not see any future for yourself, but I've got a future for you, and I've got a destiny for you, and I've got some things I want to do with you. So just let me in. And when I let him in, he poured in the water of life, the Holy Spirit. They poured pure water into those jars, but Jesus was giving us a message, a picture, an illustration that when he cleanses you, he pours into you the water of life, the Holy Spirit, and he fills you to the brim. He fills you to the brim. And he changes you. He transforms you. Now, then he told them, now draw out some and take it to the master of the banquet. Now, I want you to notice something with me. Notice that with Jesus' first miracle, it required the cooperation of people. Watch this. Servants filled the jars. Servants drew out the new wine. Servants delivered it to the wedding. Servants put it on the tables. Servants took it to the master of the feast. Here's the principle. Miracles require human cooperation, a step of faith. If you expect a miracle in your life, God is rarely going to do it without your cooperation. You've got to take a step. You've got to walk on the Word. Now watch this. This is amazing. Jesus is brought the problem. There's no more wine. Mary says to the servants, whatever he tells you, do that. Jesus then tells the servants, go get a whole bunch of water and fill up those pots with 180 gallons of water. They did it. They did it. They did it. They did it. What he said to them, they did. And sometime between when they poured the water in and when they took it out to take to the master of the feast, that water experienced a miracle. It was transformed from water into wine. I want you to notice when it happened. It happened when they did what he said. They didn't sit there and go, wow, that's a great idea, Jesus. We're going to think about that. No. He said, take water, fill the pots. They took water, they filled the pots. And then when they did what they could do, then he did what they could not do. And he turned the water into wine. Oh, folks, listen. We need to move on the Word of God, step on the Word of God, obey the Word of God, walk on the Word of God. If you pray for a job, then go out and look for one. Oh, I just know that somebody's going to have a dream and a vision, and they're going to have my phone number in that dream, and they're going to call me. No, 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 no. You, you pray, and he's ready to do a miracle, but God blesses moving targets. 
you got to go. If you pray for romance to be renewed in your marriage, establish a dating night. Do something where the two of you can get together. If you pray for rain, get out your umbrella. The wedding with a problem and a prayer closes with a miracle and a testimony. It says, when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn out the water, they knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said, everybody brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Here's the testimony. Whatever Jesus does, it's best. You can't best Jesus' best. When you leave it with him, then you do what he says. Then he's going to move. He's going to change you. He's going to bring an answer. You know what? He's going to take that emptiness, that aching void in your life. He's going to answer it when you do what he says. I've lived my whole life out to the best of my ability doing what Jesus said. And every time I do what he says, I walk in blessing, I walk in mercy, I walk in grace, I walk in open doors, I walk in opportunities, I, I, I experience fullness, I experience joy, I experience his presence and his peace. There's something to be said every single day, get up in the morning and say, Lord, today I'm going to do whatever you say, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to walk according to your word. Do you have a need today that only Jesus can handle. If you got something in your life where the wine has run out and you know it, deep down in your heart of hearts, you have even said to yourself, the wine has run out. The joy is gone. The peace is gone. The romance is gone. My, my walk with him is gone. There's something missing. There, there is a deficit. What do I do? Turn to him today. Can we stand together? Let me ask this question. Has the wine run out in your marriage, in your soul? How about in your satisfaction with life? Jesus is in this sanctuary today. He's here. And we're going to pray a prayer, and I'm going to ask there to be as little movement as possible because people are going to be praying right now. It's very important that we allow the Holy Spirit to just touch right now. Bow your heads with me, would you? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray about two things. First of all, those of you that have a lack, you say, boy, Jeff, this was for me. The wine has run out in, in an area of my life, and I'm going to bring it to Jesus, and then whatever he tells me to do, I'm going to do that. He's going to give you a solution. He's going to give you an answer. So let's just go to him right now. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And we ask you to speak to our hearts, Lord. Now say with me, church, just, if you want to just lift your hands towards him, you can. And just say, Lord, I give to you where the wine has run out. I give to you the lack. 
And Lord, I'm asking you to speak to me. Give me an instruction like you did the servants. And whatever you tell me, I will do it. Now, you will find his answer in the Bible. You will find it in your heart. You will find it coming from others. But he's going to bring an answer to you. When he brings an answer to you, a solution, be sure you do it like the servants did. And now there may be some here today who can say, you know, Jeff, I've drifted from the Lord. I've drifted. And various things have happened and come along, and maybe it was sin that made you drift. Maybe busyness made you drift, but you've drifted. Your walk is not what it used to be. It's not where it used to be. And I want to encourage you today, say, Jesus, forgive me for letting anything come between me and you and cause me to drift away. And I come back to you today. Forgive me my sin. And come home. Let's pray together. Say with me, Jesus, I've drifted. And I'm asking you to forgive me. I recommit my life to you today completely. In the name of Jesus. Now, perhaps today, you say, you know, Jeff, I, I don't know that I've ever had an experience like what you just described. I don't know that I've ever been born again, <clears throat> as I hear Christians talking about. I don't know that I've ever had that experience. I don't know. If there's a question mark in your mind, then you need to settle the question mark, and you can do it today. Today. He's given you the faith to pray, and you can pray it right here and just say, you know, Jesus, I'm coming to you, and I'm asking you to forgive me. It's that simple. He's as near as a prayer. So I'm going to lead you in that prayer, and you go ahead and pray. You can do it. You may not have prayed in years. You can do it. You have the faith to pray. And just pray with me right now and say, Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose from the dead so that I could be saved. I repent of my sin, Lord, and I ask you to forgive me and come into my heart. I open that door. I invite you in. In the name of Jesus, Amen.